0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Crux. Today, Gary and I have on our podcast the founder and CEO of PepperCom, Steve Cody, whose firm has major street cred in the world of change, communication, and purpose-driven thought leadership. Gary, how are you doing this week? I'm doing well, Mike, and
1: we're recording this on Halloween, I think I should reveal. So happy Halloween, everyone. (laughs) You know, and I'm looking forward to talking with Steve. I've known him for a long time. We used Peppercom, of course, at GE when I was there. And given Steve and his recent work on the study, uh, a study he's been involved with, I'm eager to get his take on the recent Kanye West or Yee. I I guess I'm, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the quick and not so quick responses from some of his sponsors about, uh, Ye's uh anti-semitic remarks and statements so so i'm looking forward to this conversation steve's a is a gr- is a great friend yeah
0: great point So, why don't we turn our attention to to Steve? You and I, as you said, have both known him through professional organizations and through work. He uh, has has led the Institute for Public Relations, Uh, he's been involved in Page Society. In my mind, he's something of a Renaissance man and rock and tour, started his strategic communications firm 27 years ago. Peppercom, I believe, was named for a pet dog of his. And today they have a sterling reputation in the business. They've got offices in New York, San Francisco, London. He's a frequent contributor to Inc.com, has appeared on CNBC, MSNBC, and NPR. He's the co-author of a book, Uh, What Keeps Your Customers Up at Night? He's also a mountain climber who has scaled the highest peaks in Europe and Africa, and he's a stand-up comic. But let's get on to some serious business first. Steve, welcome to The Crux.
2: Thank you, Mike. You should have just added, and he does all of that very poorly. <laughs> I was just
0: saying, he does dishes too. <laughs> <laughs> I do everything but Windows, Mike. <laughs> but but I really love. I mean, G- Gary pointed it out in, in the intro. Uh, this new study that Peppercom has partnered with Reagan Communications on you call it the corporate character barometer. First, share with us why you decided to conduct this survey, and then tell us a bit about the key findings.
2: Sure. Well, again, thank you, Gary and Mike, for having me on. We um, partnered with Reagan Communications, and we were looking you know, I hate this, the expression white space, but it seems like everyone now and their brother, you know, the strategy firms, the big four firms, obviously Edelman pioneered trust, but everyone's taking a deep dive into who, what, when, where, why, and how of trust. Didn't see a lot about character. It would come out as a secondary tertiary point. So we thought character could be really interesting, especially when it relates to purpose and organizational purpose. So we decided you know, uh, there's a group of 400 senior communicators who subscribe to the various Reagan's publications. Let's ask ask those senior communicators some questions about the societal issues of the day. And obviously, you know, Gary, you brought up Ye and Peloton. And, um, you know, over the weekend, we saw the horrific attack on Speaker Pelosi's husband, the anti-Semitism being spewed at a college game held in Jacksonville over the weekend. I don't know if you gentlemen read about that one as well but it's only getting worse so you know we thought it was very timely to ask these senior communicators okay what are you doing um are you standing up and and speaking out knowing that surveys show that you know 60 percent of employees expect their organizations to speak out certainly consumers and this has come out in various trust studies trust organizations that have the um the wherewithal the um the fortitude to stand up and speak out and, and double down on their purpose. And what we found was very surprising that, um, you know, fewer than half were comfortable in terms of speaking out at all, Gary. And we wow. found that very, very few, I think that the, um, there were two really surprised somewhat surprising findings. The first was the reluctance to speak out, but we fielded this leading up to the midterms. So, um, you know, there are so many volatile issues um, so I I could understand why there might be a reluctance to speak out on Roe v Wade or you know a mass shooting mm-hmm. or you know things like that. Yeah. But um, the stuff on anti semitism and racism really I I that that dumbfounded me. Why you know we, we can get back to Adidas, but why would it take you a week or more to speak out uh-huh. against an obviously anti semitic response? What we found, Gary and Mike, is that the vast majority of these CCOs, and this is jaw dropping do not have a reputational management playbook. Yes, they have the playbook that, you know, BCW or h k or Edelman or maybe even Pe- Peppercom, you know, um, created for them, you know, prior to March of, of 2020. But so much has changed. Huh? And I think they ticked off the box. And this is me editorializing. I think they ticked off the box on DEI and they ticked off the box on ESG. Mm-hmm. And, and Alan Murray writes this morning that more and more companies are going to be held accountable for delivering on ESG. But I think the CCOs took a deep look and said there isn't a lot of there there to back up. Yeah. What we created as our purpose. And our purpose was really founded on why we exist and why our employees should come to work. It doesn't really equip us to say, well, what do we do? Speaker Pelosi's husband was just attacked. Should we say something? Yeah. So there, there's no playbook for that. There's, there are playbooks being created, Gary. Um, you know, a good majority of them are saying they're in the works but they, they are woefully unprepared at the moment, and we have a different societal issue every day.
0: Yeah. Well, Steve, I, I have to tell you, when I saw that you, know, you have this interesting dichotomy where people clearly must see all of these issues, but then they have no framework by which to deal with this. I wasn't just surprised. I was shocked, you know, by the percentages of communications leaders with some of America's largest companies saying they had no issues framework, no playbook or decision trees to run prospective social or political issues through. What do you think accounts for this?
2: It's it's a head scratcher, Mike, to be very honest with you. I do think there's so much going on right now and there are so many self-inflicted wounds like the one We saw, you know, Adidas experience this past week. I just think there's so much going on. And, uh, you know, when we do other types of surveys, whether they're CCOs, CHROs, heads of internal, external media, et cetera, they're overwhelmed. Like everyone else, you know, Gen Z, millennials, the information overload is just absolute. The data dumps, they're just they're just drowning. They're drowning. And I think they've 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 put up one finger, two finger and they're about to put up the third finger. I'm going down, bud. I need, <laughs> I need help here. I think I think this is a cry for help, Mike. That's what I think uh, it is.
0: Yeah,
1: it's really interesting. You know, I I saw this morning, Steve, and I don't know from who, but it looked kind of interesting—a webinar to add a fourth P to the three Ps. You know, people, planet, uh, purpose. I'm I may be forgetting or getting it wrong, but it was the word prepared. You know, how do we create leaders that are prepared? In this case, they were talking about CEOs. But so let me follow up again on Mike. You lead a strategic communications firm. And if one of the CCOs that you work with, let's say, had yet to create a, a framework or a playbook, came to you and said, I need to find a way to address these things, these social issues we've been talking about, voting, voter registration are on the cusp here, of the midterms in the United States uh, because our employees are asking us questions and pushing us to think about these things. And they want a framework. The CCOs say they they tell you they want a framework and they want to think about it smartly, about being proactive, but also balancing that with not appearing woke. Because there is backlash now about, uh, quote unquote, woke capitalism. What would PepperCom do to help them?
2: I think the first thing we would do is, is take a look at the purpose, the organizational purpose, which I would guess would be at least two or three years old and created when everybody was creating their purpose at the same time. Just to tick, tick off that <laughs> yeah, box exactly. and say, yeah,
1: join the club, the
2: peace <laughs> club. So I would start there, Gary. I would start there and I'd say, okay, do we need to update this purpose? Does this still reflect why we exist? So that that would be job one. Job two is after that is done, okay, let's take a look at all the different um, issues that we have You know, doubled down on. Are Have we said that we are committed to DEI? Let's take a look at what we've done over the past two years to back up that statement. Can we back it up? Let's take a look at ESG. What have we done over the past two or three years? Can we back that up? Once we find out what we actually have done, are they just words or are they actions then I think we can take a deeper dive into the various societal issues and say, "Okay, we've done a lot here about anti-Semitism and racism. We feel comfortable, you know, going after Yay and supporting, you know, what took Adidas a long time to do. But we're very comfortable with our CEO speaking out against anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. But I think that part of the equation hasn't been done, Gary. I don't think the purpose has been examined and/or updated, nor has there been an overlay." of, okay, this is what we've done in the past two or three years that we're proud of, that we can back up with numbers that our employees will believe, which is most important, as well as our other stakeholder audiences, that should give you the fundamentals of the playbook.
1: That's fantastic. You know, this is perfect timing to Steve and Mike. I'm at that point, I teach a business acumen course here for communicators at Boston University. We're right at that point where we're talking about these things, mm-hmm. about purpose mission values beliefs all of those things and so this will be a great podcast for my students to listen to and i'm going to recommend it to them today i do want to come back to adidas because they really have taken it on the chin with yay and and for the reasons we've talked about it took them weeks to say anything before they eventually cut ties with him his do you think it's by the way and I do want to I want to jump in here and editorialize a little bit uh, like you did I, I i couldn't help myself last week steve schmidt who's former vice chairman of uh, edelman and now sort of a political commentator on on substack blamed adidas's problems on the communicators and i love steve and i think he's a really smart guy but we all know what goes on inside big organizations like adidas the communicators may have been doing their job very well and and maybe someone decided not to listen to them you know, we just don't know right and uh, so I, I just stand up here for the for the communi- corporate communications teams
2: absolutely gary as you, as you know i mean the c suite is um you know comprised of both very powerful internal stakeholders and external stakeholders so you've got the the chief general counsel in-house, you've got the outside legal counsel, and they want to win in, in court. Obviously, it's our responsibility to, you know, address the court of public opinion. And it's the reputational impact on, you know, continuing to remain silent about our relationship with Yay. There could be a very powerful head of sales who said, look, you know, yeah. we're paying this guy $243 million. He represents over a billion and a half in sales you better think through this. And there's a CEO who's being compensated based upon his or her performance sales, both top line and bottom line. So there are a lot of factors. It is a category five hurricane that yes. any CCO is right in the midst of and trying to provide guidance the same way, you know a, a ship's captain would to get out of the category five hurricane as quickly as possible.
1: Well, it, and, and from a perception standpoint and reputational standpoint, as you've been saying, you, you take a look at that, you know, $1.5 billion in sales, right? And you can imagine that the marketing teams, the sales teams, even the fi- finance teams are saying, whoa, wait a minute. Sure. And we've seen this before and we've seen things on the other side where CVS takes a $2 billion hit, right, for not selling tobacco. But often it's the communicator in the middle of that, looking across the spectrum and saying to me anyway, Steve, this was a no brainer for Adidas. Right. Uh, You know.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And and I think it plays back to, to to legacy. Right. You know, what sort of legacy does the CEO want to want to leave? What sort of legacy does the organization want to create and be remembered for? And I think that gets lost in all of this. I think it becomes a numbers game less than a reputational game.
0: Well, and the sad part about it is, you know, Adidas historically has something of a checkered past when it comes to issues around anti-Semitism going back to World War II. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure at the end of the day, they didn't want to be painted uh, with quite that broad brushstroke to remind people about a different kind of legacy, right?
1: Yeah. And we saw this, right. by the way, right. Not to, sorry to interrupt, but in Russia right. as well too, right? Yeah. After the Ukraine, invasion of Ukraine, companies taking their time to well, McDonald's would be one, great company, but um, how and if they were going to get out of Russia? Yeah,
2: Yeah, exa- exactly right. You know, when when a significant piece of your business is coming from whether it's Russia or you know a segment of society that spews hate or um you know racism um you know the numbers factor into that decision making unfortunately it's it's just yeah. the way it is
0: yeah just curious going back to the the, the corporate character barometer given your findings this fall uh, are, are there other questions you want to explore in the future and when might we see the the next survey
2: well, one is, why isn't Mike Fernandez running for public office? That would be the first question.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. no. Here we go, Steve. Okay, as, 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 a, as somebody who actually was a former city councilman and somebody who worked for a politician who once said, there's no sense in the second kick of a mule. Um, <laughs>
2: well, I'd want to read Gary's platform before I decide who I vote for. Yeah, exactly. But, but, but the, the question would be the obvious, the, the follow up questions. Uh, have you updated your original purpose? Yeah. If so, how has it changed? Which issues have become more important and more relevant to your organization in the past year than perhaps when you originally created your purpose looking forward, you know, towards 2024, which we know is going to be even more controversial and more upsetting, and hopefully Scott, I hate to even use the word violence, but um, what are you really focusing on now that you've seen what's happened, now that you've seen that, um, you know, 18, only 18% of your peers actually have a playbook, a reputational management playbook. What are you doing with your team and your outside agencies to get that done?
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's like, what's your response to urgency, right?
2: Yes. Uh, Yeah, when does this become, when does this become DEFCON 5? It seems like Mm -hmm. it's a DEFCON 1 or 2 and uh, and it needs to be up at 5.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you and I've known each other for quite some time, safe to say decades. <laughs> I've always enjoyed your good humor and 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 not just what you do on the stand-up stage, but I recently you recently shared with me that you have a book deal where you're going to share a bit about the value of humor in business. Why is humor such an important ingredient um, off the stage and in business rooms.
2: Yeah, thanks for the plug, Mike. Yeah, HarperCollins has signed me to, um, to write a 50,000-word book, uh, which is a daunting thought. <laughs> I don't think I can put out a single sentence, much less 50,000 words, but um, it's due out in January. But I, I would say, as we all know, the world changed in uh, March in um, 2020. And all of a sudden, um, you know, alienation, isolation, anxiety, depression, suicide, all sorts of generational gaps, uh, obviously red state, blue state gaps. Everything seemed to, you know, post George Floyd, um, all of the anti-Semitism, et cetera. So many different events, world events, Russia and Ukraine started to to, to well up that it, it became abundantly clear that what we, we Peppercom, had been doing all along, which was training our employees in stand-up and improvisational comedy, primarily to help them with their storytelling, get to know each, each other better, improve our culture, um, knock on wood, we did not suffer any significant loss during the Great Resignation. Um, so we felt that it was really important. I felt as a leader, it was really important that um, I employed self-deprecating humor. And I was the first to point a finger at myself if I failed, which they were able to see me do all the time on stage. Um, you know, my motto personally and professionally is expect less. And I del- <laughs> <laughs> I'm i proud to say I deliver on that. But when you look at, say, the, the, the PR week power 50, you're not going to see words like humility You're not going to see words like vulnerability. And I think nowadays, and studies show this, and there's a reason the Stanford Graduate School of Business now has stand-up comedy as a required course for their students, is that especially Gen Z and certainly the, the workers of tomorrow are going to want leaders who are open, authentic, empathetic, show their vulnerability and are willing to admit fault and want to create a safe space for their employees. So the book is called Laughing Through the Madness, Mm -hmm. and and it's the power of humor in comedy. And humor can break down silos. When we do improv sessions, we get people who were not cooperating in the past to work together to create stories, to launch fictitious products. And all of a sudden, we do pre and post surveys. The collaboration, collegiality is just a market change. I've been through, as I'm sure you have. I actually, Gary, I had the chance to go to a couple of Crotonville sessions. So I've been to leadership training. I've not seen the kind of bonding that stand up and improv um, produces within an organization. Uh, We're working with one of the largest automobile manufacturers in the world right now to to try to close as many gaps as one can expect. Um, European leadership, uh, American mid-management, PhDs sitting alongside high school dropouts, Gen Z's trying to partner with baby boomers. And the number one word that keeps coming back when we ask them to describe the culture is friction. So our job is to use stand-up and improv to break down those silos by mixing and matching them in groups in which they have to listen to one another, pull from one another, and create a successful end result.
1: Well, speaking of humor, I I know our listeners can't see it, but right behind Steve is uh, some kind of Mets logo. (laughs) And it, it totally, bad. Mike and
0: Jets,
1: yeah. But listen, we've all written for business executives, right? Who aren't funny, Absolutely. right? I mean, you know, at at and that's a hard message to deliver, by the way, to to people. But I, I do, I agree with you on self-deprecating. I think I stole your your line a few years ago when I became the chair of Page, succeeding. John Iwata that was my campaign slogan expect less yeah. Yes, <laughs> I, I, I
2: hired I hired Davis and Gilbert to go after yeah, exactly.
1: you <laughs> <laughs> but what what is it about that kind of humor Steve self-deprecating humor yeah that works so well for politicians and and business leaders
2: well you know it it, it go it humanizes in a word yeah so, so you go back you go back and it's and it's apolitical you know, JFK was a master of self-deprecating humor. Ronald Reagan was a master of self-deprecating humor. Even George W. Bush, you know, did a great job, I thought, with self-deprecating humor. Obama, on occasion, would use it. Um, it's not being used at all, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Uh, hasn't been used since 2016. And, um, and and just the ability, I think, to, to, to laugh at yourself humanizes you. And, and and allows, whether it's, whether it's uh, you know, voters, whether it's employees, whoever the stakeholder audience is, if they know that you're human and you admit to your mm-hmm. own frailties, I think that changes the value proposition. Likeability, as you know, is a key determinant in selecting a product, a person, an organization. When all things are factored and all things are equal, Absolutely. you want to work with people whose company you enjoy. So if you can put a smile on someone's face in the right way at the right time. And obviously this can be volatile. And you brought up CEOs who aren't funny. We don't say that this is right for every organization. It has to start in the corner office and she or he has to be open to being vulnerable, admitting fault and laughing at herself, himself. I, I spoke to one CCO who both of you know, and I walked him through our humor offerings and he said, Steve, not only do we not laugh here, we don't even smile," he <laughs> said. "If I were to bring this to my CEO, I would be fired. Yeah. So you know, it's it's still it's still a work in progress, Gary. But I do think it's part of the future of work. I really do.
1: I I, I agree, and and of course, I hate to overgeneralize, but I will. Uh, you know, there are industries where you think about the word likability, and it doesn't match those industries. What you think about them, and I'm thinking tech. Now and and particularly there and we see tech now struggling, at least in equity markets, and I think some of that has to do um, and in regulatory proceedings et cetera, I think some of that has to do with likability and, and and the the ability to talk about themselves with some some sense of humility as you mentioned.
2: Yes. And I would say some of that um, also exists with Wall Street firms and Wall Street
1: CEOs. Exactly. I
2: I think you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, if you're going to attract and retain the best and the brightest and you're working towards the future and you are unlikable as a CEO and you have an austere top down culture, who the hell is going to want to work for you?
1: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Crux. On The Crux, we discuss the intersection of communications, business, and society. Follow us at The Crux on Facebook and Twitter. You can also find our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and on our website at thecruxpodcast.org. Now, let's get back to the episode. Yeah. Are you seeing, Steve? I'm. I'm curious. You mentioned this, you know, that this has accelerated in the last two years, as we've three years, as we've gone through a bunch of social, economic, political upheaval, and, and this injection of really some, you know, rhetoric that is violent. More and more rhetoric that is is violent. Uh, mental health is a big issue that I hear on the university campus, and I hear it from clients, and of course read about it a lot. What's, is humor a salve for the, the stress um, that people are feeling?
2: Yeah, there's no question. I'm not, I'm not you know qualified to talk about the chemistry of the brain, but uh, when we laugh, it stimulates the same endorphins in the brain as um, eating chocolate, falling in love, or reading a white paper by Mike Fernandez. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hardly, hardly. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Here we go. Mike for president. Here we now, go. Okay. you touched a little bit on it, Steve, but you really have at PepperCom kind of a process that you use with everybody from new employees to interns. Talk a little bit more about how that works. You know, if I want to come to work for PepperCom, You know, is there a laugh meter that I've somehow got to raise or? We're we're
2: not we're not looking for funny people. We're looking for funny for people who are are open to making fun of themselves and sharing their vulnerabilities. So it's not about the search for America's next top comedian. It's understanding, you know, will he or she be a good fit within our culture? Because we do like to share our foibles, you know, our cringeworthy moments from the past. Something that went terribly wrong, you know, in a new business pitch and we can look back on it and laugh at it. So, you know, the other thing, Gary and Mike, is we've been doing this for almost 12 years. This has established guardrails, if you will, in terms of both the oral and written word within Peppercom. We know what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. They know when they can poke fun at me and when they shouldn't (laughs) poke fun at me. Good point. They know the words and phrases. And knock on, knock on wood, we we have not had any issues uh, workplace related um, across the board because it has given us that vocabulary.
0: So one of the things that people really should know too is that you take this thing about humor so seriously that you do an annual stand up charity event. So where and when is this year's event and what is the cause that will be the beneficiary of the money you raised that evening?
2: Thank you. I will give you 10 percent of all proceeds <laughs> for helping me, helping me promote this. We ask our employees to pick a different charity every year, Gary and Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, this year is going to be Autism Speaks oh, great. and we, uh, we're going to hold it at the West Side Comedy Club in Manhattan on Tuesday, December 7th. I will emcee very poorly and 10 or 11 Peppercom employees will perform five minutes of standup. And typically the five minutes are things that get them upset. For me, it's the Jets, the Mets, New Jersey <laughs> Transit, United Airlines. But they may talk about, you know, a blind date from hell. They may talk about their mom texting them 35 times. They'll get up there and talk about whatever and they'll be funny. And we'll raise five or ten thousand dollars, you know, to the charity. Write them a check right there on the spot. And the feel-good aura that lasts, lasts for days and weeks, goes right into the new year. And it's something we're just very, very proud of. And it's one of the things that separates us. When we get into a new business pitch and, you know, a CCO says, well, what's different about PepperCom? I immediately go to the humor DNA. But again, it's about storytelling and it's about crisp, clear writing, coming up with an unexpected twist on a pitch about a very serious subject to a Wall Street Journal reporter. So what... Good comedians know that every business executive knows is pro- is what we try to impart in terms of all of our storytelling. We are hired by companies whose internal communications are simply not interacted with. You know, CEO will do a net letter or the C-suite will put something out and the response rate is, you know, in the teens. So how do we make this more relevant? How do we make it shorter to the point, et cetera? So there are so many uh, tangible assets to understanding the, the tenets of stand-up and improvisational comedy that can be applied. We have insurance companies, financial service companies, very, very serious subjects. Mm-hmm. But they can, be, they can be addressed in unexpected ways that will stop you in your tracks.
1: Well, that's really impressive. Let me ask you a quick question, Steve. What do you do? You know, I worked at GE during a difficult time for the company from a performance uh, standpoint, let's say, versus expectations. What do you do with humor when you're going through a period like that?
2: Well, again, it, it all, it all starts at the top, Gary. So it's, it's how, it's how the CEO wants to comport herself or himself. Case in point, I can always speak about myself in the early weeks of the pandemic. One of the things I wanted to do was underpromise and overdeliver. Yeah. So I said that we're going to have a staff meeting every day at noon, and I'm going to tell you what I know and what I don't know. And, um, and I did that every single day. Um, I thought there was no room necessarily for humor, except as the weeks went on, we started to find different ways in which we could talk about, well, how are we spending our time? And all of a sudden, you know, the, the dog became the, you know, the icon of the, of the era, yeah. right? So, so we started quickly humanizing. So we went and, you know, we all, all of us went through the 2008 market meltdown, 9-11, you know, the 2003 invasion of Iraq. We've been through a lot of, a lot of, Difficult, uncertain times, but nothing prepared any CEO for the pandemic, right? So my, 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 what I did was go back to authenticity, which is the first thing you learn as a comedian. Tell the truth. So my telling the truth was, I don't know, but I promise when I do, I will share it and I will talk to you every single day. And I went from, going, uh, from asking people, how are you do- doing to how are you feeling? And I reached out, and I continue to reach out all the time. And I say, "How are you feeling?" Then we can get to the "How are you doing?" But I'm more important, more more concerned with how are you feeling.
1: That's that's terrific, and a, and a great uh, great recommendation, great advice. Now, I, I've I've been impressed by your work for a long time. As I said, we used Peppercom back in the day at GE. I see that Northeastern University, your alma mater, and by the way also the alma mater of my daughter, Sarah, named you one of its 100 most successful alums. How the hell did that happen, Steve?
2: All I can say, Gary, is it doesn't speak very well of the other 99.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a great school. By the way, my daughter, Sarah, when I she's the head of comms now at uh, Refugees International. In uh, in DC, an advocacy organization, great great school. But congratulations to you! And I would say this: I want our listeners to know. By the way, Mike said it at the beginning. Steve's done really great work at the Institute for Public Relations, particularly um, IPR. Just really great leadership for them. Thank you over the over the last decade, really, Steve. I think
2: it just means a lot to me to um, to try to create, which is what we did. I hope with Reagan's. You know, information for everyone. This is not about Peppercom. This is not about you know hire Peppercom tomorrow. This is about, hey, guys, we're not doing our jobs. We need to better prepare our organization. Mm-hmm. So how do we do it? How do we do this as yeah. a profession? So And the same thing with all the IPR work, which we did throughout the early days of the pandemic. We wanted to know what was going on, who was doing what, and what were best practices to help the industry.
1: Terrific. So I'm going to come back to Peppercom now. Earlier this year, Your company, after more than 27 years, was acquired by Ruder Finn. How's that going, and uh, what does the merger mean for your clients and PepperCom's future?
2: Sure. Well, it was something that I didn't do lightly, as you might expect, Gary, and it wasn't something that I was actively looking for. As a matter of fact, I thought it would be another couple of years, because of all the uncertainty, before I knew what I wanted to do. But during 2021, five separate entities approached me. And uh, I quickly narrowed that down to two, and I thought, you know, this could work out very well timing-wise for me personally. Mm-hmm. And for Peppercom, I have a, um, I don't, the word bench is 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 horrible, but I have a, a, a level of management who have been with me for 15 or 20 years, and um, they deserve to move up. Um, and I, I, you know, I deserve to not necessarily move out, but... I wanted to give them more responsibility and I also wanted to reward them. i would given out stock to eight or nine of them and, um, no, no offense whatsoever, but I'm a WPP refugee. I did not want to go with a global holding company. I was, it was really important that we be acquired by another privately held company that respected, um, a privately held company like Peppercom. So, Rudifin was, was open and willing and, and able to uh, keep Peppercom as a separate brand. We, uh, we have a separate P&L and we are staying in our, our own building. So when I rolled it out to our employees and clients, I said, nothing about Peppercom is going to change. The Peppercom you know and hopefully love is going to be exactly the same, except we now have access to all of these global capabilities, capabilities and data, digital, creative that didn't exist before. So it's a value add. But otherwise, everything is exactly the same. And knock on wood, we didn't lose a single client or employee. So um, it's been great. Uh, And we're having a terrific year, Gary and Mike. So it's um, and they're really good with branded merchandise. I have hoodies, baseball
0: hats. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. Just as just as long as it doesn't say Mets on it. I'm okay with that, Steve. For goodness sake.
0: Uh, but what is really great is having you on as a guest on the Crocs. Wanna really, really thank you. But why don't you plug the book again? What's the working title?
2: Laughing Through the Madness. The power of the power of humor in
0: business. And when will I be able to order that on Amazon?
2: January fifteenth.
0: All right. Steve, thank you again for being our guest on The Crux. Uh, greatly greatly appreciate your insights. Uh, really, uh, uh, people should take a look at that corporate uh, character you. barometer and uh, really appreciate your insights around humor in the, in the world of work. Uh, it's been our pleasure today to have PepperCom's founder and CEO, Steve Cody, on with us today on The Crux. Thanks for listening.
2: Thanks again, man. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you for listening to The Crux. Our producer is Boston University student Anna Hwin. This episode and other episodes are made possible by the Boston University College of Communication, or COM, as it is known. Located in the heart of downtown Boston, COM is BU's home to the studies of advertising, emerging media, Film and TV, journalism, media science, and public relations. At COM, we seek to build understanding among people through better communication. Find out more at www.bu.edu forward slash COM.